Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Compliance Guy. Today is Tuesday, the 24th of October. I'm just absolutely, I can't believe how I blinked and the entire month of October is gone. So with it being a Tuesday, as I always say, I get to welcome my very good friend, Terry Fletcher, who is out in California doing her thing out there. How are you, my friend? Good morning. I'm good. My Steelers won and uh, we're four and two. So having a good football weekend. Yeah, my Dolphins lost and they are now five and two. And but we won't go into that. And yeah, I will say this. I am very grateful to Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots for beating the Buffalo <laughs> Bills. I was going to say that helped. <laughs> I mean, that was like the biggest upset. It of was the season. Yeah, so it was. anyways, before we upset those who don't like sports, let's move into today's topic, because I think we actually have a. a, a, a... I think oh, we wow. have a really good one. Oh, yeah. Thought I lost Sorry, you there I, 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 <laughs> I had this live caption that popped up on my screen <laughs> for a moment and I was like trying to click out of it and I hit the mute button by mistake. Oh, I was like, where did, where did it go? <laughs> Some people were probably like, man, why didn't you leave yourself on mute? So here's, here's what I'd like for us to talk about today. And I think my topic kind of leads right into yours. And as I like to tell everybody, you know, listening to our podcast, you and I really don't know what we're talking about until we get onto the podcast about five minutes before we go live. And, you know. I did a post yesterday, Monday, the 23rd, and I talked about on LinkedIn that, listen, you know, you know, compliance has to be the punchline. It can't be the tagline. And in order for compliance to be the punchline, you have to create a culture of compliance within your organization that goes from the very top all the way to down to the bottom of the organization. And as I said in my post, I, 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 I am very privileged to be able to travel around the country each year and give, you know, lectures. And, you know, after 30 years, I'm a little more selective on where I go, you know, and how often I travel. You know, I used to give, I don't know, 75 to 100 lectures a year. Now I'm down to maybe a dozen uh, just because my schedule is so crazy with everything going on. But, you know, last week I was in Chicago with Ascent, which is the... ENT Administrators Association. And then I was in Las Vegas at the American Medical Billers Association. And boy, talk about a loaded um, um, group. I mean, you had Robert Lyles and Ron Chapman and Eric Rubenstein and Shannon DeConda. And, you know, I mean, the, the list just went on and on. And every every time you know, another session came up. I was like, wow, I really actually want to stay and hear what so-and-so has to say. And it was just, you know, it was fantastic. You know, uh, Pam Vanderbilt was there and some of the other, you know, folks who, you know, I, I consider trusted sources, much like, you know, Terry Fletcher is my trusted source. But yeah. as I, as I was walking out of a session and I was, you know, going to take a break and, <clears throat> you know, walk around the vendor hall for a little while, see what's new, see what's exciting, see what's out there. Um, I had a physician come up to me and the provider says to me, got a question for you. I said, sure. So 
asks this question and I, I knew where the provider was going with this. And I said, well, listen, this is one of these topics where there are a lot of variables. There's some unknowns. There are some, um, there's some case history that I personally have experienced where it didn't exactly turn out great for the individual who decided to assume the risk and dip their toe over the line just to make an extra few bucks. But, you know, here's my, here's my position on it. And I could see in this provider's eyes after, you know, about two minutes of my explanation, he kind of, I lost him, right? Because I wasn't telling him what he wanted to hear, which was, oh yeah, you can do that. Absolutely. And you're going to get paid for it and you're going to make a lot of money. But what he heard from me was, you're assuming a lot of risk. And while I understand that Medicare has a current LCD, they've actually kind of played around with it in creating a new draft. And there's actually been multiple revisions of that LCD that you're asking me about. <clears throat> and my concern is, even though right now under this LCD, you may be okay, the long-term outcome may not go well because the commercial payers have already said, absolutely not. We do not find these services to be reasonable and necessary or medically appropriate or whatever. And the problem that you could potentially run into is that you're going to get that money that's been paid to you clawed back at some point. And you will probably have to go through the reconsideration, the redetermination, and you'll probably not be successful at those two levels because hardly anybody is. And it may take getting in front of an administrative law judge to get it overturned. But even the ALJ gets their opinions reviewed by what's called an ad quick. And the ad quick could appeal to the Medicare Appeal Council. And now you may have to take it to federal district court to get any kind of you know, resolution in your favor. So I'm telling you all of this to say that the juice may not be worth the squeeze. And you're only talking about a handful of patients that you do a month. And the reimbursement for it is maybe, you know, a few hundred bucks. Is it really worth that risk? And he looked at me and he said, you're just way too conservative in your approach for me. And turned around and walked away. Didn't even get a thank you. Got nothing. I got, you're just way too conservative in your approach for me. And I kind of sat there and I scratched my head thinking, am I really that conservative? And then I thought back, Terry, and I, and, and I said to myself, well, let's see. Over the last 25 years, I've engaged with the Office of Inspector General, Attorney Generals, the Department of Justice, AUSAs, uh, Program Integrity Contractors. I've been an investigator, still am an investigator for a composite medical board. Um, in the last 10 years, I've 
done probably 50 federal, civil, and criminal trials, five just in the last 12 months that were all criminal, not including probably 400 administrative law judge hearings over the last decade. And I thought to myself, am I really that conservative in my approach or am I just banking on my years of experience and understanding how a pay and chase model actually works? So frustrating, but nonetheless, you know, for me, it was another eye-opening experience on just how sometimes some providers just don't want to hear anything other than, oh, sure, you can do that. And by the way, you're going to get paid. Well, and that's that's what I'm dealing with with on telehealth. So let's kind of flip the switch there and dealing with the same thing. And I also feel like sometimes people will ask the question and ask the question and keep asking the question until we come up. They want it, the answer only that they want to hear, not the answer that's, that's correct. And one of the things that, uh, as you know, I have a, a membership service for coding, billing, compliance. People can email me questions for a fee. And it's just interesting because I get a lot of the same questions on telehealth, even after the PHEs end. And I know there's some confusion because it's Medicare and then there's, and it used to be Medicare and everyone else. Well, it's Medicare and then each individual contract. What United Healthcare does, Aetna does something different, Cigna does something different, Humana and so forth, the blues. And I think what where my frustration is right now is when I open up one of these questions. And again, we love our clients. We, we love getting questions. This is what we're here for, for advice, even though we, you know, we do charge for now, you know, Sean was at a, an event. So obviously that was, you can come up to him and ask him things, but that's, we research it and make sure we do our due diligence. And that's what you're paying for basically. So you have authoritative published guidance. But my point is, is that I, I find that a lot of people haven't done what they need to do to make sure before the claim goes out that not only is it a clean claim, but it is not a false claim. And also that it is a claim that you expect to get paid, not you hope to get paid. It drives me crazy. Um, you know, and I, I know we talked a little bit about this on the the compliance roundtable yesterday, but one of the things that is driving me crazy with telehealth is the fact that a lot of the commercial plans have stopped paying for audio only as they should. I mean, there, we're not in a public health emergency anymore. Uh, it was, and remember in the height of the pandemic, those were, those codes, 99441-443 were opened up because you have a lot of elderly patients that can't, you know, get to the doctor's office. They were told to stay home if they're immunocompromised. Um, they don't have capability for audio and video, don't have a computer, don't understand how to work FaceTime or Skype, which now is not even available to them because it's not HIPAA compliant. You have to have a HIPAA compliant platform or app. And, you know, it, it's interesting when I still see physicians saying, well, I just bill for a phone call for new patients. And I'm like, you can't. And they're just like, no, no, I get paid. Oh my gosh. Just because you get paid doesn't make it legal or correct or a you know um a claim that they won't ask for the money back like sean said the the pay and chase or chase and pay you know we're, we're seeing a lot of refunds um one of the things that that my career of educating has evolved to is auditing i started auditing about 28 years ago i started just as educator and encoding billing and things and it, it's funny because i had 
um, one of the government agencies come to one of my live seminars in New York uh, in the 90s. And they said, and I, they hid, they said they were from an office, you know, they were from a physician's office, came up to me at the break and said, you know, we'd like you to do some audits for, uh, back then it was HICFA. Um, so CMS and I'm just like, uh, am I, I mean, I almost lost my lunch cause I was so nervous that they were sitting in my class and I didn't know, like you give some of the most accurate and compliant information. So I pride myself on that. And then that's evolved over the last 10 years. I've had, you know, private payers come in and say, Hey, can you look at these claims? Can you educate us? You know, we know your reputation, which has been nice, but then they're also frustrated. The payer side, and you know, I know they're making tons of profits, tons of money. So it's not about that. It's about doing what's right. It's about knowing what's payable. And if you have a trusted consultant that tells you you can or can't do something, you need to listen to us. You do, because we're only here to help you. We we want you to make every possible dollar you can. That's, I think, where the, the misperception is of some of our counseling or some of our advices is that a lot of the providers are like, well, you're just trying to say, I can't make money that way. I'm like, no, I would love to see you make money on every little thing you do. Are you kidding? Your, your reimbursements in 2024 are getting cut, cut by Medicare by 3.4%. You've got sequestrations, we've got PAYGO, we got all kinds of, you know, attacks on our reimbursement. But let's, let's come back to reality. And when we're looking at, you know, uh, telehealth, you, you can't bill that for anything other than let's just Medicare for an established patient. And it's not to give, you know, test results or to, you know, that are normal or to call for uh, script refills or to check on a patient. It is a replacement code for an office visit. So it has to be as close to a full-blown E&M encounter as you can get. And there, people aren't realizing that they're thinking, oh, well, this code will get me paid if I talk to the patient on the phone. And that's not what it is. And I've even seen people say, well, um, and this drives me crazy. United Healthcare didn't um, inform us that they don't pay for audio only anymore. <laughs> well, actually, they put it on their website. They put it in their, their updated policy as soon as the public health emergency ended. But if you didn't get a personal gold-plated invitation sent to your email or your office, <laughs> I just, I don't know, Sean, where to go with that because I, I know how much work it is to be regulatory, well, you know, efficient and I feel like people are just expecting the red carpet rolled out to give them information that they have to actually go and find. They they have to know what it is and that published guidance is out there. Yeah, no, the published guidance is out there and it's up to providers because if if you ever look at a denial or if you appeal a denial, right, whether it's a reconsideration or redetermination or if you make it to an ALJ, and you get a wholly unfavorable or even a partially favorable. It always says you should have known. Right? You should have known. Because the resources to guide you are out there. Listen, I'm the I, I'm not any smarter than the next person. I've just been doing this for a long enough period of time to recognize where you go to do your research. But beyond that, I also recognize that you got to be careful with the information that you're reviewing because I can't tell you how many times I've gone out and I've done a search and I find what I'm looking for and I'm like, oh my God, this is fantastic. 
and I've read like three or four pages and I'm like, God, man, am I really, can this just be that easy? And then I go back to the first page and I look at the very top and it says retired. And I'm like, of course it is. Of course. But, exactly. You know, exactly. but you said something that kind of triggered me. Um, and, and I don't mean trigger in like, like a Karen yeah. or Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean it in like a Karen or Kevin kind of way. Right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what I mean is you triggered me to think about something and you know, listen, I've never called myself a consultant. Maybe I did in the first few years that I was in this industry. I've always considered myself to be a healthcare professional. Now I know some people are like, well, that means you're a licensed clinician. Okay. For me, a healthcare professional is somebody who has made a career out of doing something in healthcare. And whether you're a coder, a biller, a compliance officer, a CEO, COO, CFO, clinician, whatever you are, you're in healthcare, you act a certain way, you hold yourself to a certain standard. And I happen to hold myself to a very high professional standard. But there are those who are consultants. And they know darn well what they're telling people. And what aggravates me is when I have a client, and I'm, I'm going to say specifically a physician, because usually the administrators, the coders, the billers, the auditors are like, I'm with you. You know, Sean, you're preaching to the choir. You know, I've, I've found the same things that you're talking about. I didn't see that, but I have things that are almost identical to it. But then you have these chuckleheads, as my good friend Eric Rubenstein will refer to them as, who are yes people. They have a provider that will reach out to them and say, I have this other consultant who's telling me I can't do this, 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 or that. Can I do this? And because the other person on the end of the line is like, well, they're already using a consultant. Maybe if I tell them yes, they'll dump that other person and they'll come to me. So they wind up telling these providers in the face of competing information, you can do that. Or what they'll say to them is, sure, you can do that. Meanwhile, not taking the time or not being ethical and honest to the point of saying, listen, right now, it's, it's acceptable for you to do that, but you have to understand there are some significant risks. For example, these payers have already determined that these services are experimental and or investigational, or they serve no purpose from a medically necessary standpoint, and they will not reimburse it. And I always get a lot of folks that say to me, well, you know, Sean, you know, there's no LCD or NCD that says I can't do that. And then I have to remind them of chapter three of the Medicare program integrity manual. I think it's 3.2.3.6 or 3.3.2.6 or something like that. And it's a section on reasonable and appropriateness. And you could go back and look at my post yesterday from LinkedIn. And I specifically cited in there. The absence of an LCD or an NCD does not green light you 
to just go and start billing for anything that you want to bill. You still have to meet the definition of medically appropriate, reasonable, and necessary. And even if you do, there's nothing to prevent CMS from clawing things back at a later date. All right, let me stop there, Terry. Let me kind of kick it over to you and and see if you have any final thoughts on this. Yeah, I just want to give kind of a, maybe a rundown real, just real quick on, since I was really focusing on telehealth of what you can and can't do in case anybody is confused and let's hope hope you're not. <laughs> so basically, again, audio only codes are for, and I'm just give you Medicare, you need to check with your private payers on what they're even covering now. Um, but they're only for established patients. It says right in the published regulation of uh, April 2024, that it has to be the, co the code descriptor. And the code descriptor says it has to be established patient. Next, it has to be a replacement code for an office visit. It's, it's not just to give a patient a call. You can't call to check on them. Anything you were doing pre-PHE, don't start doing now. You know, Don't start changing your workflow just because at some point during the three years of the public health emergency, you got paid for something that was tied to that. It, that no longer exists and it, it's really not appropriate. And remember that the CMS stakeholders call twice this year said discontinue use of waivers are no longer needed. And a lot of those have expired. Um, next, make sure that you have, not, this is from the Office of Civil Rights, make sure that you have a HIPAA, two A's, compliant platform when you are uh, seeing patients over audio and video. So FaceTime, Google Hangouts, Skype, those are no longer compliant. And if you use Zoom, for example, it has to be Zoom for healthcare. If you use Doxy, it has to be the one you pay for. You know, so anything you don't pay for that's free, remember you get what you pay for and too much of a good thing is too much. If you don't pay for it, it's probably not HIPAA compliant because you're paying for them to give you the business associate agreement, the BAA. Um, but lastly, and I'll just say this because there's so much to go into with with telehealth, and I don't want to make this a telehealth webinar, but make sure that before, before the claims go out, that you have the correct information and you have it in some kind of a compliance plan, manual, program, policy, and that everyone is signed off on it, including providers in your practice. So everyone understands how things are being done in your office, what the workflow is, and how it leaves from a claim perspective. Because, and this is something we never talk about, is that it's not just the refund request. It's not just the fact that you could get an audit. It's the cost of that audit. It's the cost of an appeal. It's the cost of the refunds. It's, you know, and it's not just, again, just that amount that's going back. Think of all the staffing that the amount is going to take down to pull yourself away from everyday work to now focus on that. And you could be now targeted for, tar uh, you know, a target probe, educate audit, or you pick audit or something like that. And patients are also being surveyed saying, hey, we're seeing a lot of telehealth. Is, did you actually see your patient on this day or see your doctor? And they're like, nope. And so now you're dealing with, are you going to get re-signed as a preferred provider organization? Are they going to still let you enroll there? So, you know, a lot of this rolls downhill. It doesn't just stop with them saying, well, you didn't do that. Let's have it back. The expense and the, the hit to your reputation, the long-term target that can be on your back because you've now done something non-compliant. 
um, is, is going to last, it could last a very long time. And in the climate of how much money this government's spending and they target our payers first, trust me, they're going to be targeting. I mean, I think Eric Rubenstein said it the, the best, you know, this isn't the, what did he say? It's not the era of the audit. It's, it's, it auditing is right now is just, that's the climate. It, it is where we are. And it's not yeah, if you get an audit, saying, it's when. You know, yeah, it's yeah, when, it's not if. That's right. That's what I've been saying, you know, with all these people that were coming to me and saying, Sean, 2022 was the year of the audit. Yeah, the year. Yeah, nope. no, no. Nope. It's a new era, yeah, era of aggressive audit. investigations and audits and overzealous prosecutions. But I, I do want to I, I want to make one clarification. Um, it is chapter three of the Medicare Program Integrity Manual, and it is um, specifically Section 3.6.2.2, Reasonable and Necessary Criteria. So I, I was trying to go from memory as I was talking. Sometimes the hamster running on my wheel doesn't run as fast as my mouth, and sometimes I get out wrong. But it's also numbers. part of the Social Security Act, which never changes. That's also part of the Social Security That's Act right. when it comes to that, so 402. So everyone, you know, takeaways from this today, really do your due diligence Make sure you're listening to the right people and, you know, do the sniff test. If it doesn't smell right, it probably stinks. It just, it's probably not a good idea. Well, one of my favorite lines from a movie, um, Pure Country with George Strait. He goes up to the girl that he's interested in, her father, and he tries to explain something to him. And the old man looks at him and he says, you know that little speck at the top of bird poop? It's still bird poop. I prefer, you know, Harry met Sally. I'll have what she's having, but you, 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 you do you. <laughs> okay, I'll do me. And you all do you. So as always, I want to thank each and every single one of you for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with Terry and I for a little while. As always, I want to thank my very good friend, Terry Fletcher, for spending time uh, with me each and every single Tuesday bringing great content to all of you. I'll be back a little bit later this week with another episode of The Compliance Guy. So until then, remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care.